From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Regional training organisations have raised some concerns recently over the transition to college-led GP training. The chairs of three advisory councils, part of WAGPET, which is Western Australia's state RTO, sent an open letter earlier this month to the Department of Health, ACRAM and the RACGP expressing concerns about the return of training to the colleges in 2023. The letter said that there was a risk of destabilising the GP specialty, which was already under great pressure. This episode, we speak to Dr Naomi Jupp, a signatory on the letter and the chair of the Western Australian Supervisor Advisory Council, about the uncertain future of GP training. Dr Naomi Jupp, thanks for joining me. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you work in Western Australia and how the nature of that environment makes GP training a bit different in your state. Sure. Well, I work in a city just south of Perth called Mandurah. The city itself is fairly large and, you know, we're connected to Perth by the train station and, uh, sorry, the railway line and the freeway. And in recent years, uh, we have quite clearly stopped being a small rural fishing village that it was many, many years ago and become, um, yeah, I guess, a, a bigger city and, and probably really technically out of metro. Mandra has been very privileged um, for many years uh, in that we are, have been eligible for overseas trained doctors who are obliged to study in the rural pathway for GP training. Um, and we've been eligible location for them to do their training at. So there's lots of GPs um, in Western Australia, or sorry, doctors who are interested in GP training who live in the city. They're often anchored in the city by family, husbands, children. Uh, and if they are in the rural training pathway, they are looking for a rural location where they can hopefully commute. And so Mandras has been, and I'll acknowledge, we've been very privileged for many years to be so attractive um, as a commutable distance for a rural GP placement. Uh, we, as I've just said earlier, are no longer really rural. We're certainly not considered rural under the new classification scheme that the government uses. Um, they very generously actually gave us a couple of years leeway and we have um, at the moment rural GP registrars, but at the end of this year, we will no longer be eligible for them. Uh, in typical fashion, as, as well, in sometimes typical fashion, um, there's another classification for GP registrars called outer metropolitan area. Uh, and anyone in the general training pathway has to complete at least a portion of their training in an outer metro area or a rural area. And because the rural classification scheme has been updated and the outer metro classification scheme hasn't, we're actually sitting in this limbo um, area competing with inner city um, general practices to try and attract registrars. Um, I understand there's uh, currently probably at least 30 registrars working in the Mandra area. So that forms a significant um, number of doctors in this area uh, that we will just not be able to attract um, as of the end of this year. And I guess, you know, that's, that's not... I was at a, a GP, RATGP forum um, Tuesday night and I mentioned this and there are someone else um, on the Gold Coast in Queensland uh, reported the same issue. So it's, it's actually not unique to WA. 
it's not unique to Mandurah. Um, and I know that a lot of places have actually benefited from the new rural classification scheme. But I guess what it does demonstrate is um, that difficulty where one system is updated and another system isn't. And uh, I guess a, a bit of a lack of planning and um, uh, looking further down the track for these unintended consequences um, of changes. And in the broader scheme of what we're sort of talking about today with regards to general practice training and registrars, there are many places um, across Western Australia and I'm sure across Australia who do rely on registrars for their workforce. Uh, and we're a little bit worried with the transition and the uncertainty regarding that, that there will be um, gaps in that workforce. So in terms of what you know about the transition to college-led training, you've been a supervisor for quite some time. What are your biggest concerns and what do you know and what do you have questions over? I know that come January 2023, uh, overall um, governance of general practice registrar training will fall to the RACGP and ACRAM, not the Department of Health. I know that currently those colleges and the Department of Health are negotiating what that looks like, but that's really about it. Um, we've, there, there's been lots of rumours and um, discussion. Initially, uh, the, the transition was to happen sooner and then there was a realisation that there needed to be a longer lead time and so that was delayed. And I guess that it's entirely possible that there's going to be some recognition of just how big a job this is and maybe they need to delay it again. Initially, uh, I understand again from articles I've read in medical media that the government was happy for the colleges to continue to use the regional training organisations uh, in Western Australia, that's WAGPET, there's different ones across Australia, um, to continue to deliver the program they have been delivering for many, many years under the auspices of the colleges rather than the Department of Health's um, AGPT. And then that's been taken away. So you know, that was that was initially, yes, we can do that or you can do that. And then there was no, you definitely can't. You have to get rid of the regional training organisations. Um, and again, the, the latest is uh, we're not really going to tell you whether you can or can't. So, so we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know um, exactly what they, the new training program looks like. And we don't know um, exactly how that's going to be delivered. The RACGP did release a paper a few weeks ago, um, which had some really lovely concepts um, in it. And they certainly acknowledged some of the areas that are important to be looked at. Uh, but they were, it was really lacking in the details of exactly how that's going to be provided and exactly who that's going to be provided by. So at the moment, we know that the RTO's funding has been continued to the end of the first semester of 2023, I believe. What, what is your understanding of that in, in terms of RTO's future? Well, my understanding was that it was extended till the end of um, semester two, 2022, and that 2023, January, um, would be a whole new thing. So again, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's an area we obviously, um, you know, a, a bit of uncertainty. 
we've been to, and I, I attended a meeting a year ago where the then Akron president, um, Ewan McPhee, quite emphatically said the RTOs will not exist after their transition to college-led training. Um, so my our, our understanding um, and our current level of knowledge is that at the end of next year, the RTOs will not be funded to provide general practice training. Whether they can reinvent themselves in some way um, and continue to exist is obviously their sort of business decision and, and look at that. But um, that my understanding is that their funding will go. And one of my concerns is that within the RTOs, there are lots of very experienced, very skilled people with lots of inherent knowledge about the communities that they serve and that they look after and that they help ensure general practice services for by providing registrars and supporting registrars in their training, that there's a lot of people there with lots of really good knowledge. Um, I'm worried that they're sitting there now going, well, we don't know what's happening either. Uh, we might start looking around for another job now so that we know our, our workforce, our work is, is secured for the future. Um, and that the, because we don't know from the colleges whether they plan to employ those people and take advantage of the experience and the skills that are already there sitting, waiting to be used in, you know, beyond 2023 or, or what their plan is. So we've got a lot of uncertainty for people who are currently providing that service as well as those of us um, out actually supervising GPs, being GP registrars um, and practices employing GP registrars. Taking back training for the colleges is a massive undertaking. Do you think that the colleges have the management skills and contacts in the community and networks in local practices to do as good of a job? I think if they are to completely reinvent this process, probably not. Um, I don't know. I haven't held positions within the colleges. Um, I um, so, so I don't know. And I guess... From my point of view, I see that value, as I was talking about earlier, value for the colleges saying, look, there's existing people out there on the ground. One of the um, very important parts of that position paper they um, released, one of the big issues or one of the strong points of that paper that they released was uh, the, the capacity for local support. So one of WA's concerns is always if you have a, an Eastern States-based organisation looking after things, they will lose sight of WA. And I'm, I'm not saying we're unique in this. I'm sure there are other states and territories with the same issue. But they will lose sight of the fact that we are a very different state compared to the others. We are huge geographically. We have much smaller, a much smaller capital city and much smaller rural and remote locations that have community needs that are very different from what you would see in Victoria and New South Wales. So where we find and we certainly feel that the localised, the local knowledge, the local support, um, the local, the awareness of, of, of local issues is very, very important. So that was one of the strong points um, mentioned 
in theory in that RACGP paper, and I keep referring to an RACGP paper because I have not seen a comparable paper from ACRAM, and the majority of GP registrars do choose to study through the RACGP. Uh, so, so local support was part of that paper, and I would, you know, strongly recommend to the RACGP that they try and continue using the existing local support networks that are in place as part of the regional training organisation, rather than trying to reinvent that. I don't, I don't see that they have that capacity in existence in their current system. And I am an RACGP member, and I am a supervisor. And I haven't seen sort of any engagement with me regarding this. And what do you understand will happen to the junior doctors who will presumably be halfway through their training, say, at the start of 2023, if that is the date when RTO funding is cut? Will it be disruptive to them? And is there any contingency planning on your end around that at the moment? Look, I think it has to. Unless um, there, you know, when there is a change and your support, your contact person, the person you ask questions of when you have an issue, um, the person looking after the administration, helping make sure that boxes are ticked as part of the training program and that um, you know, you're meeting all the requirements. If that organisation suddenly just stops doing its job on one day and a completely different organisation starts doing that job on the next day, I think that there is the potential for disruption. Um, we don't know what that's going to look like yet, of course, and that's the, the trick, whether there may actually be some capacity for transition. And that transition, if we're looking at the RTO's funding running out at the end of 2022, would actually have to start well before then. You know, Rather than thinking that that could go into 2023, we have to actually start seeing the colleges taking on some of that um, role as early as next year and within six months or so. So we, it's very hard to plan for something that you don't know anything about. Um, we have been reassured that, again, one of the focuses is to try and reduce the disruption and the disturbance in the training so that existing registrars in the training program um, will be disrupted as little as possible. But we don't know how that's going to happen. So at this stage, I think this is the crux of our concerns, is that there seems to be a lot of very good intentions. Um, and I certainly I think we can embrace some change as an opportunity to improve things. But the actual detail about how this is going to happen when it is only 18 months away from the actual transition and certainly only six months away from the time when we are trying to be recruiting registrars into starting in 2023. Um, so the, the, the lack of detail about exactly how that's going to work and how our roles will change or how we can best support our registrars um, makes it very hard to actually start planning. And there's a legitimate concern here, isn't there, that if people see that these changes are coming through and they're in the hospital system and they might be considering going down the path of GP training, that if it looks like it's a disjointed and disrupted system by the change and that they can't see a clear path of advances coming forward now about how it won't be disruptive to their training, that they might actually just sit back and not join any GP training program and stay in the hospital systems. Yes, yeah. 
And it's not just on the basis of the registrars. We're looking at this um, across the board. As I said, we've got people in the RTOs currently providing the service that they provide, thinking, well, I'm not sure what's going to be happening. Maybe um, I might just have a look around for something else. We've got supervisors, um, and I'm sure that there are lots of supervisors out there sort of nearing the end of their um, career that we've had some amazingly dedicated um, supervisors for many, many years. Um, who might just be going, ah, oh, you know, do I really want to learn a whole new system and do that? Or shall I just go, look, this is my time to bow out. And of course, unless we have new supervisors coming on to replace them, and those new supervisors may also be looking, uh, look, there's going to be a new system. Am I going to join now under one system, have to learn all of that, and then just have to learn another system next, you know, in another couple of years? Or might, I might just hold off for three or four years, let the new system settle in, and then I'll join. So we've got that happening at the level of, I guess, supervisors, and similarly for a practice that may not be a, a training practice yet and the registrars themselves. And this is on top of, and I heard this at the RSEGP forum the other night, on top of the fact that currently 16% of junior doctors join RSE, uh, sorry, GP training, um, and that the government is aware that we actually need that to be closer to 50% um, to meet the community needs, to actually get the value out of general practice, which is an amazing service and, and, and we are looking at communities who benefit greatly from quality general practice to keep them out of the hospital systems, to keep the pressure off the public hospital system, to provide good continuity of care, coordinated care um, at a very, very bargain price for the government when it comes to it. Um, and we are already, I guess, behind the eight ball from that point of view. We're already not having enough doctors interested in entering general practice training. And so a time of change is, is likely to exacerbate that. And of course, what we all hope is at the end of this change, there is a very invigorated um, new program that will encourage more junior doctors to general practice. And we, we need to get there though. Dr. Naomi Jopp, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Before we go, don't forget that you can follow or subscribe to The Tea Room right now by searching for the show on the podcast player of your choice. You'll then be notified when a new episode becomes available. Catch you next time.